0: Welcome to the Sam Sorbo Show. I'm Sam Sorbo and I have a very special guest today. I'm excited to talk to Connor Boyack. He has a new book out and I'm just going to read this to you. In 1983, the National Commission on Excellence in Education warned us the educational foundations of our society are presently being eroded by a rising tide of mediocrity that threatens our very future as a nation and a people. And 40 years later, We're wondering, are things better or worse? Because that was 40 years ago. So this book that he's written shares 40 examples of how poorly today's government schools are doing to show that the rising tide of mediocrity has created a tsunami of low expectations and poor performance, suggesting the need for alternative solutions. You think? Connor Boyack, thank you so much for coming on the program.
1: Stating the obvious there, right? Hi, Sam.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this is sort of, this is my entire bent, right? Is all about education. And I got to know you, first of all, you're you're the Tuttle Twins, right? So let's full disclosure. Yep. You also run a think tank. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I got to know you at Freedom Fest a couple of years back. And uh, we did a, a panel on education and sort of, um, what, what was the, fo- was it unschooling more than anything? I can't remember. I remember. I, um,
1: I, I don't remember either. Time is weird, but I remember we had fun and we, we bashed we, uh, government schools. So we had a, a lot good time. of fun. Uh,
0: so in reading up on the book, when I saw that you had a book, I was immediately like, oh, I got to get him on the show. I did not realize that your co-author is Corey DeAngelis and Corey DeAngelis is a very big proponent of school choice, which is the money follows the child, right?
1: Right. Yeah, he is. He works for American Federation for Children. Uh, He's what you might call a school choice influencer. I've known Corey for a number of years. He's a researcher uh, by background. So he's done a number of academic studies focusing on education and learning. And so he brought a lot of that academic weight to the table so that we could pour over the data and see when, you know, when we're talking about mediocrity, when we're when we're making this allegation that today's schools are mediocre, or at least that they were 40 years ago, and then the open question is if they're worse or better today. I think the the question answers itself. But but going over the data with Corey, it's abundantly clear, which I think is confirming what we all already believe going into this project that uh, it's alarmingly sub mediocre the quality and level of educational attainment and output from today's government schools.
0: And so, so, uh, what are you terming educational? Uh, you know, how how are you defining that?
1: Uh, that's that is an important question because I think the tempting way to define that is based off of standardized testing. Right here's this kind of pseudo scientific way to compare or assess someone's individual educational attainment, but then compare them to others. And so it becomes useful in the sense that we can look at other countries. Let's pick our 10 most uh, biggest economic competitors across the world. And when you pit the United States and its education of its youth against the youth in all those countries, we come in dead last. So standardized testing, though I'm not a fan in in the slightest degree at all, has its place simply from a comparative basis to try and analyze how things are going. What standardized testing misses out on is all of the stuff in the middle, all the glue, all the informal learning, the character development, things that we as parents want for our children, things that we as society want from the rising generation, critical thinking and and uh, problem solving and entrepreneurship. And and um, unfortunately, we, we don't really have good testing standards to do this. And oftentimes the modern school system doesn't even focus on these more character-based traits. If anything, the environment can be quite hostile to the development of good character. And so um, that's, that's why ultimately this book for us, Corey and I, serves as kind of a warning or a wake up call to parents to say, the schools are actually much worse than they were when you went or I went, I I was a graduate of what I like to call the public school system. Uh, Back in California in the 80s and 90s, schools are much different. And in many cases, they're worse. And however you want to slice the data, if you want to look at standardized tests, or you want to look at just self-satisfaction, job placement, life fulfillment, uh, polls where people take self-assessments, things are not going well. And so we need to radically rethink how we're educating the rising generation.
0: Right, and so does the book go into that or is it is it simply sort of an assessment of where we are today? Do, do you offer solutions?
1: So uh, the, when Corey and I sat down to work on this book, we had to tackle that question because he and I are passionate champions of a variety of of solutions, uh, whether on his case, school choice or homeschooling or micro-schooling or whatever. We felt that there's an abundance of information and increasingly so around all those different education alternatives. Super easy to find books or websites or podcasts all about these educational alternatives. What we identified uh, the problem was is what we saw during COVID. So many parents who had been kind of, you might say apathetic or ignorant regarding the state of schools were shaken awake through things like Zoom school, where they could finally get a peek into how their children were learning, or followers of like libs of TikTok. And you can see these like daily atrocities happening in the classroom. We felt, Corey and I, that this needed to be not a solution book, but a problem book. We wanted to kind of machine gun fire parents who are still uh, ignorant, who are still apathetic, who are still fence sitters and don't really realize, so many parents now, Sam, I think you can relate, uh, in your own social circles feel like oh we're done with covid now so we can go back to you know the way things were but that that's a very I don't have low any parents in my social circles that to... feel that way. Okay <laughs> yeah yeah you you've purged them from your social circles. Um and so i think too many parents feel like yeah covid was they bad do. but now we're back to the way yeah. things were so the the book is meant to talk to those parents and say no actually things were really bad pre covid already uh, so here's kind of the machine gun fire to give you 40 examples. And hopefully then you'll be motivated to go in search of solutions.
0: Do you talk about how uh, business owners are are looking outside of college graduates for their hires?
1: Yes. And, and even worse than that, we saw during Common Core especially how they started to call K to 12 education. The purpose of it, they said, was to get kids college and career ready right that was the big mantra throughout uh, the common core experience and still today in the wake of it and so what we talk in the book especially when it comes to college is remedial education the degree to which colleges and we as taxpayers are spending 7 billion Dollars with a B every year simply on remedial education, which is a fancy way of saying we're teaching high school classes in college students to kids who shouldn't be at college and yet they're just on this conveyor belt and, and off they go. And we share data in the book at how that's failing. You look at two-year schools, 40% of kids are failing their remedial education in two-year schools, 25% in four-year schools. So this transformational uh, mediocrity, I guess you might say, where everything is declining, not only in K-12, not only in colleges, but as you point out, so many employers are realizing that even college graduates, people who get a diploma, that's not necessarily a signal of competence. It's not a signal of, high quality education. So employers are now increasingly looking elsewhere. And I think rightly so.
0: So, so I want to, I I want to poke the bear a little bit here Um, because my theory is it's, it's the mediocrity is actually the um, deterrent. It's a deterrent. So because it's, because they've made it so boring because they've, they've lowered the standards to such a degree. So it's not challenging and it's, uh, and it's all about testing, so it's sort of become coercive. That the the mediocrity is actually ineptitude. It's like a built in ineptitude, and the, and the studies are showing that so many kids graduating from high school can't do high school level, don't have high school level competency when they get to college, yeah. and they think that they're college. I mean, I, I covered a story uh, a couple years back of a Detroit senior. Uh, class valedictorian, who was then enrolled in remedial math when she got to college. She was the valedictorian of her high school class, <laughs> and she was flunking remedial math in college because she couldn't keep up. Um, that that it's, it's actually, there's a book, I think, called The Deliberate Dumbing Down, right? That the mediocrity yeah. that you're talking about is, it's more like, it's punitive. It's not just... Yeah oh they're just not getting the job done they're doing the opposite job is that is that fair to say like where where would you land on that theory
1: I do agree that it's punitive I I would also maybe take it a step further and say to a, to a degree it's also purposeful and what I mean <laughs> See, by this that is why I is love you. If- <laughs> <laughs> so good. You, you poke going. the bear, and I'll going. just I'll just I'll just let you poke. I, I think it's purposeful in the sense that, like, imagine that you're a dictator for a day, right? And and you want to maintain your power, you want to increase your, your political power. Do you want an electorate full of independent-minded, critical thinking? You know, intelligent, enterprising individuals who know history and can spot your dictatorial, you know, tendencies, and who have learned from the past so as not to repeat it. No, you don't want any of that, right? the The best way to rule over people is to have them be ignorant and distracted. Um, and so, when you look at the Horace Manns of the world and the John Deweys and the early architects of our modern schooling system. Their desire, these were secular humanists, they were progressives, they were collectivists, they, they, they literally were atheists. John Dewey didn't, you know, as an atheist, didn't believe in God, but he has this quote where he says that teachers are the prophets of the one true God. And in his eyes, God was government, it was literally the state. And teachers were kind of the ambassadors or emissaries. These individuals did not want children to be highly educated and influential. Look at our founding fathers; they were mostly homeschooled and you know privately tutored, and you know uh, became some of the the brightest people. So no, these individuals, the Mans, the Deweys and others, they wanted a dumbed down population that could be more easily controlled and subservient to the state. So that's not to say that, you know, Susie, the teacher down the road at the elementary school is is in on the the ruse or has any awareness of, right. of, you know, the features of the system. But I do believe that the incentives in the system are such that the mediocrity is is not just punitive, but it is to a degree purposeful because it's the outcome that those in power want, because it allows them to maintain and increase their power.
0: And, and unfortunately, a lot of the teachers, not all, there are some, there are some evil teachers, as we know from, from TikTok, thank you very much, right? Um, But most of the teachers are just unwitting pawns, and they want to help kids and, and uh, they're so sort of misguided and uh, stuck in this perverted system. You've got a couple chapters that they sent over, uh, or chapter titles, what is just in case learning? What's that about?
1: So uh, just-in-case learning is the contrast or the opposite of just-in-time learning. So in in government schools, and frankly, Many, if not most, you know private schools and even home schools. Many um, adults will teach children with a just in case model, and that means just in case you ever need to know this factoid 30 years from now, we need to cram it in your head now, just in case you become a botanist or just just in case you become a computer programmer, just in case. And so not knowing what the future has in store for these kids, the education model becomes one of just cram their head full of all the things that every you know eighth grader needs to know and it's a flawed model because it's not we as uh, how we as humans work we do not learn you and i as adults sam under a just in case model we don't you know go check out libraries from the book or load them on our you know audiobook app just in case we need to know something in the future we operate we learn under a just in time model so when your refrigerator breaks down, for example, you don't think to yourself, oh, good thing I read the manual in its entirety 18 years ago when I bought the refrigerator. No, it just in time for when you need the information, you go look at the, the manual, you watch a YouTube video, you call a friend, now you ask Chat GPT. you know, just in time for the, the, the need, you acquire the information, you cobble bits of information together because you know how to learn and you know where to find information when you need it. So that's not to say that we should not at all instill a foundational knowledge or anything in kids. I'm not arguing that point, but we take it to an excess in our schooling system where it's like, oh, you know, the mitochondrion is the powerhouse of the cell. And in case in case you become a a biologist, this is a factoid that every, you know, seven year old needs to memorize and learn. Uh, it's, It's just not the model that we as humans naturally learn. And so the schools are not teaching kids how to learn. They're not teaching them how to find information when they need it and to be resourceful. That's something that we have to learn despite our schooling. We have to learn on our own almost or post schooling. We have to learn a different way of learning and so uh, that chapter is a plea for educating our kids based on the natural human authentic experience of a just in time model and instead of teaching kids what they need to know we need to teach kids how to learn what they need to know when they need to know it in the future
0: and so th- that's that's awesome that's a a rift that i typically go down also just in in my own um advocacy uh, let's talk about you for just a minute you're the president of the Libertas Institute which is a think tank that has helped to change over a hundred laws cra- and crazy crazy also you've authored 39 books um I don't know your secret but I want some of it uh <laughs> and that includes of, of course the Tuttle twins and one of the things that we talked about on the panel was the development of the Tuttle twins and as as an educational Outreach but before I get to that you know you've done all of this these things you're now the executive producer of the Tuttle Twins animated series which my husband's actually doing a voice for you guys which is kind of fun uh it's very popular awesome. uh, show and um did you go to school for any of that
1: <laughs> I was wondering if that's where that that, uh, that that tee up would lead to a question like that no, and uh, not only did I not go to school to teach economics or entrepreneurship or you know political science and civics and, and history, not only did I not go to school for those things, those were the subjects that I did the poor uh, poorest in. Say I can't even speak. Uh, in in school, <laughs> I, uh, I I hated history. I hated English, I I was a horrible writer. I hated, I remember college uh, freshman year of college, I took econ 110 economics and I hated it. Oh, I hated it. It was all supply and demand charts and all this like boring stuff. And, And it's hilarious that like those are the subjects that I am now most well known for in distilling down to simple terms, not only to teach adults, but frankly their parents as well, who often never learned these things or at least never learned them in a way that stuck. Um, and so I am a big proponent of self-education. I sit as as a result of my think tank role, I sit in rooms with government attorneys. I just a few months ago we were uh, working on this bill, and it was David like David versus Goliath. It was me advocating for our position, which was a, a privacy bill, and I'm surrounded by all these prosecutors and law enforcement and the attorney general's office and all these lawyers from the government and i was holding my own i was you know debating finer points of the the law and the bill with these these attorneys so i am i used to be sam i was a web developer that's that's what i went to college for that's what i did for 12 13 years before my life pivoted um so i am a huge proponent for self education i am very anti acronym i don't think just because you have an acronym after your name confers any you know prestige and you would agree with me i think on this point one of the, the, the silver linings of COVID in my eyes, not only is it's, it's huge acceleration for like educational alternatives that we've seen, the increase in homeschooling and everything else, but the fact that so many people now uh, completely, we, we've undermined the potency of the word expert, right? Going through this whole COVID thing, experts say this, experts say that. So I love that I'm not an expert and I wear that badge with pride. And I think so many more of us should as well.
0: Yeah, and yet you are truly the expert because you bootstrapped it and did it yourself. And so, but you don't claim that title because you don't need to. And that's the difference. 50% of kids will be exposed to porn by the age of 13. And 78% of high schoolers admit to online porn usage. What can you do? Get Canopy. Canopy is an app that installs on your phone, Android or iPhone, Chromebook or Macbook, and it will actively prevent pornographic imagery from popping up on the phone. It actually filters it in real time. It can prevent sexting, it can prevent so much and protect your kids. Remember, when you give your kids a device, you are allowing the internet to have access to them. So postpone that for as long as you can, but when you have to do it, when you feel compelled, get Canopy. And if you go to Canopy and you use the code SAM20, you'll save 20% off lifetime discount on your subscription. Go to samsorbo.com for more information and uh, use the discount code SAM20 to save 20%. So now I want to delve into the Tuttle Twins because this is such a phenomenal story. Um, I want you to talk about the genesis of the first book that you wrote and what you realized with the the parents who are reading it to their children. I hope you know where I'm going with this.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, well, maybe I don't. So you can enlighten me later. Uh, I, I, I'm running this think tank. I'm changing these laws with my, my colleagues. And I'd come home at the end of the day and ask my kids, who were very young at the time, you know, how was your day? What did you do? And my boy, he was five, uh, almost six. And he would start to reciprocate the question, Dad, what did you do today? And I'd be like, uh, like, how do you talk to your kid about fighting eminent domain at city hall when he's, you know, five years old? And so I didn't really know how to simplify or summarize for my my kids to tell them what their dad does as a freedom fighter all day. So I went to Amazon and yeah. I looked, you know, books that teach about uh, free markets, books, you know, kids kids books that teach about property rights, and there was nothing. This was twenty. Thirteen. So I was talking about this with a buddy of mine, Elijah, who's now our illustrator, a good friend of mine, and he had kids and we were, you know, hey, what if we did a kid's book and would anyone want that that's not really been done before and, and uh, so we did the first book which was just a labor of love we figured if nobody else buys it, then we want this for our own children and it will have been a fun project. Uh, Sure enough, a lot of other people bought it, Uh, I remember distinctly, uh, I'm, I'm a big Ron Paul guy, I helped on his 2008 campaign and later on his 2012 campaign. And I remember I was sitting at a booth in 2014 at Freedom Fest, that's actually where we launched the first book in 2014. I'm at this booth. No one has any clue what Tuttle Twins is. I'm I'm in like the dark corner of the vendor hall because I, you know, paid hardly any money. And I get this notification on my phone: hey, you got a purchase on the website. Someone ordered 50 copies of the book. It was Ron Paul and his wife buying a copy for all their grandkids. And I'm like, okay, we're on to something. So uh so we continued. We've done five million books now. We got books for toddlers and teens and a cartoon and um, just educating all these kids, frankly, entire families about the ideas of freedom that schools not only are not teaching, if anything, they're they're teaching quite opposite ideas. So our books teach kids kind of the way the world works uh, from a classical liberal founding fathers type of perspective. And we're having a blast
0: but but uh, what the the story that you told at Freedom Fest, which I found so compelling, is that um I thought your first book was basically a retelling of a classic that nobody read that nobody reads because it looks so heavy and so boring. And the parents were reaching out to you saying, uh, you need to write more of these because they're explaining the world to me. While I'm reading it to the kids. Does that, is that roughly? Yeah, no, we have a
1: number in in our children's series. We have 13 books now and each of them are based on a classic, you know, text, uh, whether a book or an essay. So our first one is based off of a pamphlet written in 1850 called The Law. It was written by a French economist. Best yet, but he was right? basically, but yeah, Frederick Bastiat. He was basically Thomas Jefferson's long lost French cousin. I mean, the guy has very similar ideas. Uh, we have other books like *The Road to Serfdom* uh, by F. A. Hayek, a Nobel Prize-winning economist. We've got *Atlas Shrugged* uh, for kids. You know, so many people struggle to read this like huge uh, novel that I. Well, I'll tell wrote. you, I put so, *Atlas yeah, we...
0: Shrugged*. I took the *Atlas Shrugged* book because I loved the book when I when I was younger, and I put it on for my kids as the audio. And there's some steamy <laughs> scenes and I'm like, oh, yes. let's shut that off right now. So I'm so glad you did it for
1: kids. <laughs> Ours is the PG version, right? Exactly. Uh, you can, um, so, so exactly what you pointed out a moment ago is something we've seen time and again, parents who will tell us, I, I don't understand how inflation works, you know, and I could never read an a economic textbook that tries to explain it, but we love sitting down and reading The Creature from Jekyll Island. My kids get it. I get it. I understand in very simple terms what's happening enough that I can then go on Facebook in a, in a comment section and hold my own and, you know, stand up for uh, truth or whatever. So it's, it's really been empowering to parents who oftentimes themselves are graduates of the very school system we've been discussing today, and, uh, and received a completely inadequate education when it comes to these ideas. And so it becomes this like cyclical, like this downward cycle, because the parents didn't learn that well, so they don't talk to their kids and teach their kids about it. Those kids grow up. They're not served by an education system that's really teaching them these types of ideas. And so we get this downward spiral of historical illiteracy and civic apathy, and people just don't understand what are our rights? Where do they come from? How can we defend them? So fundamentally, the goal of the Tuttle Twins is to educate entire families, to inspire critical thinking, debates, and discussions across the dinner table and get both parents and kids thinking about and talking about uh, these ideas. Final quick example I'll share we have a, a podcast called The Way the World Works, and uh, it's at TuttleTwins.com slash podcast. And, uh, and each episode is just like 15 minutes. And the whole point is we want mom in the car going to the grocery store with the kids to turn on a little episode. And just plant a seed. And then maybe later, you know, at, at dinner they're talking about it or on the drive home from the grocery store, they're talking about it. Really, we're just trying to inspire conversation about substantive ideas between parents and kids. Cause I think we've largely lost that in our society. And I think that's to our collective detriment. So we're trying to trying to fix it.
0: Yeah, we have a, a loss of generational knowledge, I call it. It's the stuff that the grandparents used to teach the grandchildren, but now children go to school. And so they learn a bunch of hogwash that the school teaches them, but they don't learn the real stuff. And uh, as you pointed out, the school has a conflict of interest because the school works for the government and the government doesn't want the children to know that they have the power in this republic. So it's a conflict of interest.
1: Well, back to my tinfoil hat, I think those in power want us to be disempowered. Right. They're, they're going right. to be able to maintain their power to the extent that, that people feel disempowered. And I think when you look at the media and the schools and the political process, uh, that's a huge problem. It's one of the questions that I get most often in my think tank role is average Joe or Jane or whoever saying, well, how can I make a difference or what can I do? Or I have no idea where I would start. And so there's just a lot of disempowerment. And and I think if we want to fix our country, we need to empower Parents, We need to empower entire families and rebuild social fabric because it's it's largely deteriorated, especially intergenerationally, as you point out.
0: Yeah. In fact, um, I would say that the role of the school is teaching you how incompetent you are. Uh, And they do that very well because uh, we we so often resort to I can't or I don't know. And um, that's not the way that this nation was founded, certainly. Uh, And by the way, the nation was founded by homeschoolers. Just have to point that out. (laughs) None of them went to school. <laughs> so, um, okay. So, who's the book for? Back to the book, uh, and it's called "Mediocrity: Forty Ways Government Schools Are Failing Today's Students." So, who is this for?
1: So, uh, this book is not for homeschoolers who have already departed the system and who clearly understand its its problems. But, but this book is really uh, for parents who feel that, well, I went to school and I turned out fine or you know things aren't really as bad as you see on libs of TikTok those are you know anomalies those are anecdotes that's not really happening it's for the the skeptical but curious parent who uh, whose kids are still in uh, the government schools and has not really taken time to ponder uh, and and challenge their assumptions about whether things are fine or their kids will turn out okay or if the schools are as bad as before um, so I, I feel confident about the homeschoolers, uh, even if they're school at home, they're on the right trajectory, they're hopefully going in the right direction. This is a book designed primarily for uh, parents who are still in the system. It's basically the red pill to try and pull as many uh, many parents out of the educational schooling matrix as possible with the hope that we can then set them on a on a better path. again, we're we're light on solutions. our Our point here in mediocrity is not to evangelize any particular solution. It's really designed just to be a a, a stark and substantial wake up call, so that more parents will realize. You know, it's it's the it's like the proverbial fo- frog in a pot of boiling water, right? Wow. Who incrementally uh, feels the heat, but doesn't feel it in any significant, sudden degree, and so it gets boiled alive. <laughs> Currently, there's been a Mythbusters on that, and that actually uh, isn't true and w- would never happen. But the the proverbial aspect of it, I think it is important here. We've had a slow and steady decline in mediocrity. We've reset our expectations as a society. George W. Bush had this great quote once where he said that it's the soft bigotry of low expectations. and And it wasn't just all at once. It wasn't just all of a sudden. Uh, what what I find most compelling, Sam, about the quote that you read at the beginning of, of this episode from that report 40 years ago was the, the couple lines that followed it, which said, if a foreign power, a foreign government had attempted to impose upon America the very mediocre educational standards that now exist today, we might have viewed it as an act of war. As it stands, we've allowed this to happen to ourselves. It's that slow, steady descent, the incremental mediocrity. And so really it's the, the book's purpose is to say, hey, look around you, like things are mediocre. Let's no longer tolerate this. Let's try and raise our standards and save our kids.
0: Yeah, worse than mediocre. And I believe it is a, an act of war. I, I I know that the communists have taken the the long march through the institutions, particularly our education institutions, Uh, If you read the Communist 45, uh, they wanted pornography in the schools, they wanted the sex education in the schools, there are of the 45 uh, uh, tenets of their, you know, points to their, um, to their infiltration, uh, most of which they've accomplished now, so many of them focused on the schools, and so many of them have been accomplished uh, and that's that's partly why we have this this sense of mediocrity, which you you very well pointed out is actually even more than mediocrity. It's an attack. It's against us uh, as a as a as a culture and as a society and as human beings. Um, I just love it. The name of the book is Mediocrity. You can get it anywhere. Fine books are sold. If you want any information on the Tuttle Twins, to go to tuttletwins.com dot com, and uh, you'll find all the information there. Is there anything else that you want to add here?
1: Uh, No, just maybe a call to arms. I mean, I I feel a lot of urgency around this whole message. I look across uh, the country at all the civic and societal problems that we're having, and and then you get think tanks like mine and others who are trying to go change laws and basically put band-aids on the problem. But these are fundamental familial, societal community issues that are bubbling up into all these problems that we see. So Henry David Thoreau has this great quote. He says, for every thousand hacking at the branches of evil, there's only one striking at the root. I think we need to strike at the root. I think how we educate the rising generation is the root of so many societal problems. We need to stop hacking at the branches, stop, you know, complaining at the school board meeting or stop, you know, doing this petition. Like those are all noble efforts to get involved and try and make a difference. I don't want to knock anyone who who tries to, you know, put their neck out there and do something, but I think we need far more attention to and investment in striking the root and going after these fundamental problems that manifest themselves like they do. So that the goal of the book is to try and basically raise an army of, of more concerned parents who are fed up and want to fight back.
0: And part of that fight back is to educate your children yourself and make sure that their education covers the important things as opposed to the distraction. Absolutely. So I'm going to challenge you. I want to write a book with you of the solutions, Uh, But in the meantime, (laughs) thank you so much for coming on the Sam Sorbo Show, Connor Boyack, TuttleTwins.com, and we'll see you here next time. Thanks so much.